but I'll get a crick in my neck just looking on one to one side tonight. That's all I've got to do. Appreciate everybody for being here tonight. And I know that everyone made sacrifices to be here. There's some boys who rushed here from ball practice. There's some folks who cut naps short. Emily had to get up from a nap because she was passed out. Miss Janie had to leave Mr. Grant. I know that everybody made sacrifices to be here tonight. And I hope that the things we talk about tonight aren't just filling time, aren't just checking off a box, but are helpful for us in what we need to do in order to be pleasing to God, help us to understand his will for us a little bit better. Tonight, I want to talk about something I think is a review for everyone, but uh, hopefully it's a good reminder of the need for Bible authority because we're commanded that we have to do all that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus or by his authority. And I want to talk about that with you tonight because it is so fundamental and so important that we understand this so that we can be pleasing to God. The scriptures are clear that we have to have authority for all that we do. If you want to keep your Bibles open or you will look on the screen to Matthew chapter 21 to the passage that, that Joseph just read for us. Jesus is being called into question by the chief priest and the elders of the people for what he's doing. And the question is in verse 23, what, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? The chief priest and the elders did not like Jesus doing what he was doing. And so they want to call him into question and say, Hey, who gave you the authority? Who gave you the right to do what you're, to, you're doing? And Jesus, when he responds to them in verse 24, shows that he agrees with the question. When they ask him the question, Jesus didn't say, well, that's a stupid question. Who cares? I can do whatever I want to do. No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus agreed that that's a valid question. Notice what he says in verse 24. Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me likewise, will I tell you by what authority I do these things? So Jesus says, yeah, that's a valid question. I'm going to ask you about authority. And if you answer that, then I'll answer you. He says, verse 25, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And so he says, that is a valid question to ask, by what authority do I do these things? He says, I'm going to ask you a question. John, where did he get his authority to baptize? And Jesus gives us another bit of information in his response to them. He says, you can get your authority from two people, two places. He says in verse 25, is it from heaven or from men? There's two sources of authority. You need to have authority, and you can get your authority from heaven or from men. The scriptures are clear. We must have authority for all that we do. The passage that we're referencing in our lesson tonight is from Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything that we do, as a collective, as a congregation, as individuals in our daily life, need to be led by God and His Word and His will for us. All that you do. And in Colossians 3, verse 17, we understand then that our authority must come from the Bible. You know, there's a lot of people who are looking for authority from different places. A lot of people are looking uh, for their authority from humans, either from what they want to do, 
or what their religious organization is telling them, their synod or their, um, their conference or their hierarchy in the religious world that is telling them things that they need to be doing. Our authority has to come from the Bible. Look at Jeremiah 10, verse 23. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Men do not have the capability. You, frankly, do not have the capability to direct your own steps. Jeremiah is saying, if you do what you think is right, it will not be right all the time. In fact, that's what the way of uh, Proverbs, what Proverbs 14, verse 12 says. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We talk to a lot of people about, well, why are you doing that? Why are you living your life that way? Why does your church worship God in this way? Or why does your church practice or engage in these activities? And the answer we'll get many times is, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. It seems right to me is the other way you could phrase that. And what does the book of Proverbs say? It may seem right to you, but that doesn't mean it's going to be right. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Our authority and the decisions that we make cannot be just left to us to make up our minds as to what's right and what's wrong. We have to have authority. And that authority has to come from the Bible. Jesus condemned people who were worshiping God based upon what they wanted to do. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Can we make up our rules as to what we think is right? Can we just decide, you know what? Let's all get together. Well, the, the group of us here, let's get together and let's talk about this. What should we do? What is the right thing to do? Let's just make up the rules. And we'll take a vote and we'll decide. Jesus says that would end up in being vain worship when we're doing what we want to do. Why? Because it's not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When we make up the rules, when we do what we think we, is right without consulting God, that ends up in a vain worship, Jesus said. We have to have authority from the Bible. And there are some in the religious world, though, who when we say that, that we've got to have authority for all that we do, there are some folks who say, well, that's just divisive. If you demand that we've got to have authority for all that we do, that's just going to cause division and strife. But I'm going to tell you that that is the only way that we can have religious unity. Look at the religious world and the religious landscape that we have today. One church does this thing. Another church does that thing. They're polar opposites of each other. Why is that? Because that church is doing what they think is right in their mind. They're doing what's right in their mind. They're not consulting the standard of God's Word. The only way that we can have true unity is if we will all agree to follow the same rules and play by the same rules and do the same thing. This is the only way to have religious unity. There are some kids who like to play sports around here. There are kids who like to play basketball. And what if, what if we had a basketball game and one team said... We're going to make a rule that you don't have to dribble 
and you can just carry the ball all around the, uh, the court. And the other team says, we're going to make a rule that the only way that you can get around the court is if you put the ball between your knees and you run around with it between your knees. Are we going to be able to have a basketball game with rules that are different? No. We're going to have to have uh, people who agree that here's the rule book and everybody's going to play by these rules and we're going to have referees who enforce those rules and say you're not playing by the rules that we agreed to. The only way that we can have religious unity today is if we'll agree that this is the standard, that we're not going to do anything that we can't find here, find authority for here, and if we can't find authority for it, we're going to disregard it. That's the only way we're going to have unity. In John chapter 17, beginning of verse 20. In John chapter 17, beginning of verse 20, Jesus is in the garden praying before his crucifixion. No, this is not in the garden, but this is Jesus praying before his, right before his crucifixion. It is imminent. This is not in the garden. I was wrong. This is before that, though. But this is, the crucifixion is very near. In John chapter 17, beginning of verse 20, knows what Jesus is praying for. Jesus says in John 17, beginning of verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I, I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus' desire, his fervent desire is that all who claim to be Christians would be unified and united. Just like he and the Father are unified and united. Now, how are Jesus and the Father unified and united? Does Jesus think that homosexual marriage is okay, but the Father has a problem with it? Is that how it works in heaven? Jesus thinks... It's okay to have women preachers, but the Father says, no, we just need to have men preachers. Is that how it works? No. They are perfectly united. And that's what Jesus wants from us today. And the only way that we can be perfectly united is if we'll agree to the same standard, that we're all going to follow God's Word together. Now, how do we do that? How can we uh, have unity? We can have unity by obtaining authority the right way from the Scriptures. And we can obtain authority from the Scriptures in three ways. I know you're all familiar with those, but let's remind ourselves of those three ways that we obtain authority from the Scriptures today. And these are not unique to just Bible interpretation. These are how we would communicate things to people today, one-on-one -on -one in our daily lives. The first way we obtain authority is from direct commands, where God says, do this or don't do that. In Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, on the day of Pentecost, as Peter is preaching his sermon. In verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Do I have authority to be baptized? Yes. God's Word says, be baptized. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, we see another direct command. We referenced it this morning before our collection. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, 
that there be no gatherings when I come. Again, a direct command. And so as I'm reading my Bible, and if God says, do something, I obviously have authority to do it, don't I? And furthermore, if God says to do something, and I don't do it, I'm violating his will. I have authority, positive authority, to do something. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, I have it on the flip side of that. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, as Jesus is being tempted by the devil, notice his response to the devil in Matthew 4, verse 7. Jesus said to him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So God said to do some things, as we looked in, in, in the passages earlier. God's also told me not to do some things. Can I tempt the Lord my God? No. God said, don't do that. I have authority from God. I have instruction, direct commands not to do something. Furthermore, I can obtain authority from God's word by approved examples. As I look at the Bible and I see people who did things in the Bible and God approved of them, then I know that if I do them, God will approve of me doing those. Approved examples. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, we have a direct command to follow approved examples. Notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, I was around you doing things. I was showing you how you ought to live as a Christian. He says, you do the things that you have seen in me. He says, you also do the things that you learned and received, the things I taught you, the direct commands, but you also do the things that you saw me do, the example that I left for you. Paul lived a life that was pleasing to God. I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. I'll live it the way that Paul lived it. If Paul did it and God approved of it, then I can do that and know that God will approve of me as well. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, takes it another step farther. Not just should I follow Paul's example, but I can follow others in the Bible who were approved of God. Philippians 3, verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So I can follow Paul. I can follow other people who were approved of God in the Bible. If they did it and God approved of it, I know that God will approve of me doing it as well. An approved example is found in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Joseph, I believe you referenced this verse to someone you were talking with late, not too long ago. This is not a direct command to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. You can read your Bible from front to back and you'll never find a direct command that says take the, the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. This is the only passage that tells us when we ought to take the Lord's Supper. And it's not in the form of a direct command. It's in the form of an approved example. Look at this. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Now, Jesus said we ought to take of the Lord's Supper. When am I going to do that? Well, I see an example of Christians on the first day of the week taking the Lord's Supper. And God approved of them taking it on the first day of the week. When should I take of the Lord's Supper? On the first day of the week. Because I know God approved of it in the first century. Well, what if I wanted to take the Lord's Supper on a Friday? 
Friday seems like a good day. Friday's, you know, we're getting ready for the weekend. It might be good to take the Lord's Supper on Friday. Could I do it on Friday? Not by authority, could I? I couldn't take it on Friday and know that God approves of it because I have no reference to God, uh, people taking the Lord's Supper on Friday. But I do have a proved example here of the first day of the week. And so I can have authority knowing that God will be pleased if I take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week because he was pleased with them taking it on the first day of the week. So direct commands where God says, do this or don't do that. Or an approved example where I see someone in the New Testament doing something that God approved of. I can have confidence that he'll approve of me doing the same and following that example. Paul said to follow the example of people that were approved. Finally, I can obtain authority by necessary inferences. And this is a complicated word or a, a difficult word and phrase. You might also understand necessary inferences as unavoidable conclusions. As we read the Bible, there are certain conclusions that we have to come to. As we interpret the Bible, necessary inferences are unavoidable conclusions. Here's one. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, there's a command that we need to assemble, isn't it? A direct command that we need to assemble. God expects us to be assembling with each other so that we can gain the encouragement of being together and knowing that we're not alone, so that we can worship God together as a group. That's what God wants us to do. Because it is encouraging. We can exhort one another as we come together to worship God together. But there are some things that we have to infer from this, some necessary inferences or some unavoidable conclusions. Is the church authorized to set a time when we're going to come together to worship? Are we authorized to do that? Yeah. Can we say we're going to worship God at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning? Yeah, we have authority to do that. Why? Because God told us we need to assemble. So that means of necessity we have to have a time. Is the church authorized to provide a place to come together to worship? Yes. Because we have to, have, we have to assemble, we're going to have to have a place. So can we rent this building like we do? Yes, we have authority for that. We need to have, uh, we need to worship God in song. Are we authorized to have song books? Yes, we're authorized. There are some unavoidable conclusions. Back to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Here's another unavoidable conclusion. In Acts 20, verse 7, they came together on the first day of the week to partake of the, the, uh, the to break bread, to partake of the Lord's Supper. What first day of the week was it? You know, there's some groups, there's some religious groups that take of the Lord's Supper maybe once or twice a week. And not once or twice, once or twice a year. And you may know folks who do that. They, they may take of the Lord's Supper on, on Christmas Eve and on Easter. And maybe one other time during the year they might decide, you know, this is going to be the day we take of the Lord's Supper. Well, how often should we take of the Lord's Supper? Well, we have to make some conclusions and some inferences from passages like this. Acts 20 verse 7 makes no reference to any kind of special first day of the week, does it? Paul was traveling through this area and he stayed in town for the first day of the week because that's when the disciples broke bread. The conclusion we have to draw from this verse is that they were coming together on every first day of the week to break bread. They were taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, that you have to do that. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say you have to take it every first day of the week. But we understand from this verse 
by an approved example that we can take it on the first day of the week, and by necessary inference or unavoidable conclusion that it is every first day of the week. A passage that backs up this conclusion as being valid is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It's not on the screen. If you want to look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, we just studied this passage on Wednesday night in our Bible study. And it's in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. So Acts chapter 20, verse 7 is about the Lord's Supper. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, and it's about the Sabbath day. And notice what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What Sabbath day? What Sabbath day were they supposed to remember to keep holy? Was it the first Sabbath of the quarter? Was it a couple times a year? It was every Sabbath, wasn't it? And so when we take that idea and we couple it with Acts 20, verse 7, where it just mentions that they were coming together on the first day of the week, then we understand that we are to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, every first day of the week. And those are that's just a few examples of how we gain authority by looking at necessary inferences or unavoidable conclusions. So, three ways to obtain authority. Let's remember that as a result of our study together tonight. Direct commands, approved examples, and necessary inferences. We can see examples of this all put into practice in one passage, and that is in Acts chapter 15. You want to look over in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we studied this a couple weeks ago in our Sunday morning Bible class about the issue they had over circumcision with the church in Jerusalem. You remember there are some teachers who had left Jerusalem teaching the Gentiles that you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And so Paul and Barnabas come back. They're going to settle the issue with the church where these folks came out of in Acts chapter 15. And in verse 15 of Acts chapter 15, they're trying to determine what is the will of God based upon what God has revealed do the Gentiles have to keep the law of Moses? Are the Gentiles valid candidates for salvation and do they have to become Jews in order to be saved? The answer was no. How did they get to that? Well, Acts 15, beginning of verse 15, notice this. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. And so they look to the Old Testament to a direct statement or a direct command that there was going to come a day when the Gentiles would be brought in to fellowship with the Jews. A direct command, a direct statement from the Old Testament. Furthermore, we go back in, or go earlier in the book of Acts, 15, or chapter, Acts chapter 15, look at verse 12. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 12, notice this evaluation they made of the circumstances and the facts. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And so they're looking around and they're saying, Barnabas and Paul did some things that God approved of. God approved of them teaching the Gentiles and converting the Gentiles. How did he approve of it? He approved of it by the miracles that they were doing. 
And so they looked in the Old Testament in Acts chapter 15, verses 15 and through 17. Let me go back here. They looked at this and they said, well, wait a minute. It's talking about a time when the, the, the tabernacle is going to be rebuilt and the Gentiles are going to come in. Well, that shows us a direct command. And by the way, this is talking about the first century, isn't it? This isn't talking about something future. We're not waiting for the tabernacle to be rebuilt. There are folks who are saying we need to we need to wait for Jerusalem. There's going to, the temple's going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem and there's going to be an earthly kingdom. No, this has already happened because this is evidence that the Gentiles don't have to be Jews anymore because this is happening. This has happened in the first century. Okay, And then in Acts chapter 15, verse 12, Barnabas and Paul are doing things and God's approving of them doing things by the working of miracles. So this is an approved example, right? Their example is approved. God approved of what they were doing in converting the Gentiles. Then look at verse 7 of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 7, verse 15. Uh, sorry, yeah, Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Look at this. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness as giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did to us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Peter says, you know what? When I went into Cornelius and his house, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as it did on us at the beginning, as a sign that we were teaching the truth, and as a sign that the Gentiles were accepted by God. He makes a necessary inference, doesn't he? Or an unavoidable conclusion. You know, if the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit just like we got the Holy Spirit, then the Gentiles must be valid candidates for salvation. He makes a necessary inference that what they were doing and by allowing the Gentiles to be Christians without keeping the law of Moses was valid. Authority is obtained by three different ways. We see that in Acts chapter 15. By direct commands, approved examples, and necessary inference. There are some, a few other things that we need to note, though, about authority as we try to determine what God's will is by reading His Scriptures, by reading the Word. Because we, we want to make sure that we're doing all that we do by the authority of God. And that is that there's a difference between generic and specific authority. God gives us instructions of various types, and some of those are very specific, while others are more generic in nature. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. Notice what God tells Noah as he's building the ark. He tells Noah, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms thou shalt make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. God gives Noah some very specific instructions, doesn't he? He tells him that he wants him to make an ark out of gopher wood. We don't know what kind of wood gopher wood it was, but whatever kind of wood it was, that's the kind of wood that God wanted the ark to be made out of. Noah was not at liberty to say, you know what? I've worked with gopher wood before and it's awful expensive and it's hard to work with. I'm much better making things out of pine. I'm going to make the ark out of pine. No. God was specific, wasn't he? He said, you've got to, you need to make an ark and to make it out of gopher wood. Noah had no room to change that. I was teaching a young kid's class uh, several years ago. 
And I was trying to make this point with them, and I was trying to make a point that was over their head, and I realized it after it. But I said, you know, kids, could Noah have made the ark out of gopher wood and trimmed it with pine? Why couldn't he do that? Why couldn't he just make the ark out of gopher wood? You know, sometimes you make make a little inlay or make some put some extra wood on there to decorate it, change it up. Could he have done that? Could he have made it out of gopher wood and, and trimmed it out in pine? And the kids sat there scratching their head for a minute. I said, why, why couldn't he do that? And one of the kids said, well, maybe would it not float if he did that? I said, no, it's not because it wouldn't float. It's because God told him what he wanted. God told him he wanted to go for wood. And so he had no room to wiggle there. He also told him he needed to put pitch on it, on the inside and on the outside. Noah couldn't say, you know what? I'm just going to put pitch on the inside. The pitch on the outside, that's sort of redundant. Why do you need it in both places? I'm just going to put it on one side. No, God told him what to do, and he had to do it exactly that way. But there were some generic commands in here as well, right? He told him to make the ark. How do you make an ark? Well, there's some, there's some wiggle room there, maybe. some. But he was very specific. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Another very specific instruction, right? God said, Jesus said to go and baptize. And how to do it? In the name of, or by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But where do I baptize? That's generic, isn't it? I've got to baptize based on the authority that God has given me. But we can baptize in a river, in a pond, in a baptistry, in a bathtub, in a cattle trough, which was known not too long ago. We have generic authority on where to baptize, but specific authority on baptizing by the authority of God. The difference between generic and specific authority. And furthermore, we have to note, lastly in our lesson tonight, that silence is prohibitive, not permissive. There are a lot of people who say, well, God didn't say not to do something so I can do it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to engage in this act or this church. The church is going to engage in an act because God didn't say not to do that. In Leviticus chapter 10, we read very one very important principle here. That silence is prohibitive, not permissive. In Leviticus chapter 10, beginning of verse 1, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Nadab and Abihu had been told where they could get their fire. And they didn't get it from there. They got it from somewhere else. Now, God apparently had not said, you don't get your fire. You can't get it from there. He had told them where to get their fire. And they got it from someplace that he hadn't given them instruction to get it. And he struck them dead for that. When God is silent on a matter, we don't have authority to act. Couple that with Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 beginning. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? This is talking about Christ being our high priest. There had to be a change of the law 
Because look at this. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. In the Old Testament, if you were going to be a priest, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. Specifically, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. In the New Testament, Jesus comes along and is our priest, but guess what? He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not a descendant of Aaron. He's a descendant of David, and David was from the tribe of Judah. God said for, Dave, for Jesus to be our high priest that we'd have to change the law because the law said if you're going to be a priest, you've got to be of the tribe of Levi. What the law did not say was that if you're of the tribe of Benjamin, you can't be a priest. If you're of the tribe of Dan, you can't be a priest. If you're of the tribe of Manasseh, you can't be a priest. The law didn't say that. The law said if you're going to be a priest, you've got to be of the tribe of Levi. The law was silent about being a priest if you're from the tribe of Judah. But the Hebrew writer correctly concludes that when God is silent on a matter, that doesn't provide us authority. This is pertinent in a lot of different areas where God has been silent. For example, homosexual marriage. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that a man can't marry a man. But it's wrong. It's sinful, isn't it? Why is that? Well, the Bible's silent about gay marriage. But the, God, the Bible did specify what marriage is, didn't it? The Bible specified that marriage is between a man and a woman. It's silent on same-sex marriage. But silence is not permissive, is it? Silence is prohibitive. We need to understand that. It's so important that we have authority for all that we do. And this is a, a reminder, I hope, to, to us all. I hope we're all familiar with these passages. But we must understand that we have to have authority for all that we do. That authority has to come from the Bible. It's the only way that we can have religious unity if we all follow the same rules. We get our authority by direct commands, by approved examples, by necessary inferences or unavoidable conclusions. There is specific and general authority and generic authority, which we need to understand the difference between we need to understand very clearly that silence is not permissive, it is prohibitive. Finally, if you would with me, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. There's a very important principle here. Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 23. But he who doubts is damned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Romans 14 verse 23 tells me if I'm not convinced that this is what God wants me to do, then it's sin. If I can't do it by faith, if I doubt, you know, I wonder if I have authority for this. I wonder if God is going to be pleased. If I've got doubts and I'm not doing it by faith, not doing it with confidence that this is what God wants, that this is God's will, Romans 14, verse 23 says that that's sin, right? That's sin. Well, how do I get the faith that makes me confident that I'm doing what God would have me to do? Well, that's shown earlier in the book of Romans. Look at Romans chapter 10. 
Look at Romans chapter 10. So Romans 14, verse 23 says, if I'm not convinced, if I, if I doubt, then it's sin. Romans, 14, verse 7, or Romans 10, verse 17. Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do I get faith? How do I know I'm doing God's will? Right here. You see how important it is that we have a Bible authority for all that we do? Because I can't have confidence that this is what God wants unless I can read it here. Let's have a woman preacher next Sunday morning. Can I do that by faith? No. I can't read that here. Let's bring in an organ and a, and a rock band and worship God with that. Can I have faith doing that? I can't read that here. Let's, let's, let's not take the Lord's Supper on Sunday anymore. Let's take it on, on Tuesday. I can't do that by faith, can I? I can't read it here. Whatever is not by faith is sin. I've got to have authority for all that I do. I hope this has been a good reminder for us as we've looked at this important topic. Well, as we conclude tonight, we offer the invitation. If there's anything that we can do to help you spiritually, can we do that now? Let us know while we stand and while we sing.